Look, uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I'm just going to be transparent with you. And that is um, earlier this week when the governor announced that uh, the counties surrounding Philadelphia are going to be continued in this present lockdown quarantine state. I got a little bit like buzzkill. You know, it's like, meh, meh, meh. So I was really hoping and really believing that by Mother's Day, we would all be able to meet together. Okay? Uh, and so the governor has uh, prolonged uh, the quarantine, extended it, I guess I should say. Uh, so, you know, I don't want people showing up next week, which is actually Mother's Day, right? I don't want people showing up to the church next week because I said that last week. Um, so the official protocol is that um, it has been extended. Um, we will be taking a look at how do we transition in the next couple weeks um, to keep a vibrant and healthy atmosphere. So with that being said, guys, I want to really, really encourage you, right? I mean, even if you're not one to do, do this, please, like, call someone, yeah. right? Um, obviously, there's, there's connection between each of us uh, when we're on our Zoom calls and when we're seeing each other in that atmosphere. But there are some people in our community that uh, have not been active on the various calls. And that's, you know, the, for various reasons. Um, so I just, man, if you can just, a person a day. That's good, yeah. A person a day. I mean, in a week, that's seven people. Just, you know, hey, just thinking of you. I want to make sure that you're doing okay. Is there anything that you need? Uh, is there anything you want to talk about? Um, you know, friends and also people that maybe you just haven't, you know, talked to in a while, particularly in this community, obviously do it with your family, your biological family, but your spiritual family. It's really important, especially since this is uh, now being extended a little more, okay? So please uh, do that if you can. That would be wonderful. Uh, Josh, am I able to move this over a little bit to the left? I feel a little cramped. Is that okay? Yeah? All right, cool. Awesome. All right. <clears throat> so, let's, uh, let's open up to John chapter 1. And so, uh, as you guys are getting ready with that, very famous uh, portion of scripture, <clears throat> uh, what we're going to be doing here is uh, we are continuing, this is going to be our second sermon series on rediscovering Jesus, okay? So, last week we uh, opened up with the sermon series saying that, okay, you know, um, we know the Lord, we know Jesus, uh, but we, do we know him fully? And, and what I mean by that is a lot of us know him by title, right? He is the Savior, he is the Messiah, he is the Christos. And that's awesome, and that's powerful. But to know the fullness of him is to rediscover, or discover for the first time, to be quite honest, not just his title, but in, in, his, in his position of authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, meaning, right, there, he is even more than a Messiah, right? He is the son of David. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. He is the Word, right? He is the Lord. Um, there are all these motifs, uh, and not just motifs, but titles that are exemplified in the Bible that a lot of times in Christian circles we negate because we're so connected to the title of Messiah, which is incredible. But that's a sliver of him. There's more to him. And so rediscovering Jesus is taking a look not just at his titles, but as his position that the title exemplifies. And so that's what we're doing. And so today we're going to go over uh, the title, The Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. 
And so uh, let's uh, talk about that. Uh, and um, let's begin with John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, right? In the beginning was the Word, <clears throat> and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So, one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture, at least in the New Testament. It's so beautiful because it's conveying so much. It's also connecting to Genesis 1, which we're going to talk about. But there's also a problem here. And the problem here is that the Greek word, which is translated into English, the word, is one of the most perplexing words, if you will, in the New Testament. So the translation from Greek into English word is in fact one of the most difficult translations and one of the most difficult words and expressions to be conveyed into English from the New Testament. Okay? And so today, in the beginning, we're going to get a little like Dave. We're going to get a little philosophical and a little deep into the weeds, but I promise we're going to come out of it. Uh, if some of you are, are getting a little lost on it, it's cool. Don't worry. There's going to be redeeming value through all of it. But I, you know, as I say, there are people in our church, thank, thank the Lord, of all different levels, right? Newer believers, people that have been around a little bit, people that are even like scholars and things like that. So we want to be able to hit all of those ranges, okay? And it's all life-giving, which is the most important, and it's all going to encourage you on how to be molded into the image of Jesus. Who wants that? Yeah! Okay. I'm glad I'm in the right church then. All right? All right. So here we go, right? <clears throat> so this word, or this, I want to say phrase, but it's not a phrase. The word, which is translated into English, the word, which gets a little complicated, uh, has different <clears throat> original Linguistic connections. For example, <clears throat> the New Testament is written in Greek. And so when you have here in the Gospel of John, you have the word logos, which it is in Greek, which is where we then translate it into word. But in Greek, it's logos. Fine. In Aramaic, which is very important, because in New Testament times, Jewish people would have been conversing largely in Aramaic or Hebrew Aramaic. And in Aramaic, the word is memra. In Hebrew, which is very important because the Older Testament is 99.8% written in Hebrew and 0.2% written in Aramaic. The word that they use in Hebrew to convey word is the var. Okay? And then, of course, in English, it's word. Now, once again, the New Testament is written in Greek. Uh, largely, it's going to be spoken, at least the actions of, of Jesus in Aramaic and Hebrew. Uh, but when we're translating, we need to get the, the conveyance. And so why would John be writing things in Greek? And why would the disciples be doing that? They're doing that because it's the lingua franca of the day. It would be like an evangelist today choosing to either write in German or English or French. It would behoove them to write it in English because the most amount of people would be able to get access to it. Because today, the language of the day is English. Okay? 
Uh, and so that's what's going on here. But here we go. The Greek word logos is, is kind of complicated because it's developed over time. And what does it mean? This may be a buzzkill for some of you, but it does not mean this, right? It doesn't mean a written page of lettering, okay? There is a lot, a lot of different uh, interpretations of things, and maybe some of you have heard different versions of this, and they may all be right. I'm just going off of some of the things that I study, and, and, and really the interpretation I feel that the Lord is on for us as a body right now, because there can be many interpretations. But the historical development of this is this. The Greeks used the notion of logos as something that is written, which is the express ultimate truth of reality. Logos is the penultimate truth. It's not just that. It's also the ideal form. Perfection. It's also conveying an understanding of the reason and the essence of the movement from chaos to order. So it's, it's completeness, it's wholeness, it's the ideal, and it's the ultimate truth of things. Right? That's like the power of a written word, like of a contract, is like, well, you said the contract was this, I said the contract was this, but the logos, the truth is what is written, right? That's where we get the notion of a word, right? Once something is written down, it's, it's done, it's finite, it's boom, right? And that's kind of where the Greeks are developing this idea. Now, the Greeks have been around for a long time, uh, and by the time we get to the, the, the place and the setting of the New Testament, the term has developed even from the beginning of Greek society and Greek language. And this takes me to the first century. In the first century, um, the idea of Logos has taken on even, an even more deep meaning. And we gain a lot of this, actually, historically, uh, from a guy, a philosopher by the name of Philo. He is a Jewish, Greek philosopher and teacher living in Alexandria, Egypt. He is a major philosophical um, person at the time, and even to this day. And he is going to develop the idea of Logos largely from a lot of the teachings of uh, Plato. And what he does here is this. In his writings, he's, and this is in the first century, and this is what's so important. It's like we can now see what the first century Greek mind is thinking Logos is. That's why I'm doing this. And in his writings, he's going after the Logos as this. Logos is the expression of reality, the matter of all existence. It is the full expression of reality, and it's the matter, the essence of all existence and reasoning. So in the beginning was, was the essence of all expression, was reality, was truth, was perfection. And so it's essentially this, what Philo is getting at here, it's the why. It's the divine reason for all things. It is the reason for being, and it's not just the reason of being, it's that the word, the logos, the divine reason is the substance of all things. Okay, so, that might be a little out there for some of us. Let's try to like connect it. So, what I'm going to go off of today is essentially this. I think a good translation 
to understand the rationale behind Logos, and there's a lot of different ones out there, but uh, the working one that I want to go off of today is this. It's the why or the divine reason. It's the reason, but God's reason. It's a reason, but it's God's reason for the why of all things. And it's not just the reason, it's the reason is the matter and the substance of everything. Okay? That is what we're talking about with the Logos. And so to justify this and explain this a little bit more, so you don't think we're just taking this from Greek uh, 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 philosophy, it's, it's this. If we compare this John 1 to Genesis, in the beginning God created. Right? Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning God created. Right? He created the heavens and the earth. And what's so powerful is, and it says, Ve'yomer Adonai or or. And God spoke, or the Lord spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And the powerful thing here is this. To get to this divine reason understanding, is that when God spoke, He spoke a word. A word. And from the speaking of that word, He created light, and He created all things. So you see this paradigm of this understanding of Logos. The Devar in Hebrew, the thing, the word that is spoken, is this God speaking is the substance for the reason of all things. So this is not just Greek philosophy, right? I, just, I was using the Greek philosophy to get you to the understanding of what is this idea that John is writing about in the first century. Alright? So, he creates all things from a word. The creation is the reason, right? And to bring forth a reason, he has to speak a word. Now, John, in the New Testament, is making a direct comparison and parallel to Genesis 1. In the beginning was the word, was the logos. In the beginning was the divine reason. The reason for all being. The word was with God, and the word was God, and then John 1 verse 4 to 5, right? In him was life. In the Word, in the divine reason was life, and the life was the light of man, right? Direct connection to Genesis 1. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So, that's what we have going on here. So, you know, I hope I don't offend anyone, right? But here is like Dave's translation of John 1, just so you can kind of get an essence of what the intent of John is. In the beginning was the divine reason. And the divine reason was with God, and the divine reason was God. He, the divine reason, is the purpose of all things. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, meaning the divine reason, nothing made, nothing was made that was made. <clears throat> and so what we're getting at here is this. The divine reason, the why of all things. From the beginning, it is very clear in both John and in Genesis, from the beginning was the reason for all things, like the purpose, right? The purpose of all existence. In fact, for those of you that can grab a hold of this, it's not just that from the beginning was the reason for all things and all existence, but in fact the reason for all things is the purpose of existence. There's no, and we, I talked about this months ago, I taught on this months ago before quarantine. It's like, if, 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 if something exists, it has a purpose, it has a reason. If, if there's no reason, there's no purpose to having something. 
So from the very beginning is not just God decides to create something, but from the beginning is a purpose and a reason for rationale of existence. And so this is what's so powerful to try to connect the Older Testament to the Newer Testament is this. What is the divine reason for all things? And what is the divine reason and the purpose for creation? John tells us the purpose and the reason for everything that, has, and that exists is the Logos. And who is the Logos? Jesus. I want that to settle in you right now. From the very beginning, the divine, godly purpose and rationale and reason for all things of past, present, and future. The whole reason for everything is the Logos, who John tells us is Jesus. So what does this mean, folks? All of eternity, all that has happened in heaven and on earth is for a divine reason. And, and, and for the divine reason, the purpose of everything of life to be manifest, glorified, and hallowed. But the power here is this. John 1.14 And the Word, the Logos, the divine reason became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. This is what's so powerful, people, is the divine reason and purpose for all existence, past, present, and future, came to earth and expressed himself as a man. Love made manifest. Jesus, the divine reason, the purpose for all things. Come on, from the very foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain. What I need you to understand right now is that everything that has ever existed and ever has been done and ever will be done has been done for a purpose, a divine reason. And John tells us the divine reason is Jesus. And what is Jesus? He is the expression and physical embodiment of love. So what is Jesus? Jesus is, yes, of course, that God is the author an arbiter of salvation, not man, right? That is the need of Jesus. It's the expression of His atonement, of the Lamb of God, that we cannot do anything to get to God, but from His right hand, He brought forth salvation, as the prophets say. But I, I, I want to slow down here. I want you to get this, that all of existence and the divine reason doesn't just point to Jesus and His salvation. Rather, it does this. It points to the reason for God's salvation. I want you to get this. All of existence and all things that have ever happened doesn't just point you to the understanding that God is the one who brings forth salvation. There's more to it than that. It points to the reason why God wants to save. And why does God want to save? And why does He want to bring teshuva and repentance and union back between God and man? It's because the divine reason and the purpose of all existence is love. Love. You can change the mindset. The divine reason is not just salvation. The divine reason is the reason for salvation. Love. And so from the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and is God. 
from the beginning, the divine reason for all existence, of all things that have been made on heaven and all things that are on earth, all things that have ever happened in the past, all things that are happening now, and all things that will happen in the future, is all for the goal and purpose of God showing love. That's what it's all, all about. And so Genesis 1, God created through a word. The divine reason, as we said. But let's look at this. Genesis 1. It, it, it's the prologue to the Bible. It's the beginning of the Bible. It's setting the stage of the Bible. But it's not just a prologue to the Bible, folks. I want you to get this. It is not just a prologue to the Bible. It is a prologue to history itself. Right? And in the very beginning, John is giving some clarification and a commentary on Genesis 1 that is saying from the very beginning, the whole purpose and reason and rationale for all things is the embodiment of love. Cool. Got it. That's a pretty epic preamble to a story of the history of mankind. Oh, that's right. Not just the history of mankind, but the history of the heavens and the earth. Now, that's the prologue. That's the beginning of history. What about the end of history? Let's take a look at the end of history. End of, you know, kind of earthful, er earthly history, I guess I should say. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16. I mean, this is like the end, right? This is the end of the age. John, the same guy who wrote the book of John, says this in Revelation. Now, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and who, he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Guys, this is Jesus defeating the enemies of, of God. And, and ending the present age in which we're in, essentially. It's the ending of the story. It's the last couple chapters of Revelation. But what we have to see here is let's look in between those verses. What does he say in verse 13? He, Jesus, was clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Logos of God. The divine reason of God. And what's the divine reason of all existence? Love made manifest. Love made manifest is coming back to redeem the earth. Come on. It's the story from the beginning, and it's the story at the end. What I want you to know in your Christian walk is everything is about love. It's not that your Christian walk is about love. It is that all of human and heavenly existence is Forged in the expression of love. It's good. It's good. So love. We take a look at uh, John. 
Um, John is, is, is conveying revelation, and he's conveying, of course, uh, John 1, which we just read. Um, but what's going on with John? Let's, let's gain a little understanding of, behind this disciple. And the scripture says that John is the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved all the disciples. Jesus loves all of planet Earth. But the scriptures are going out of their way to show that there's some type of expression of overt, outwardly love that Jesus is bestowing upon John that appears to be somewhat unique, I would, I would surmise. Uh, in fact, John responds with this because at the Passover meal when Judas is conspiring against him and when the disciples are asking, no, Lord, I could not deny you, what is John doing? He has his head laying on the breast of Jesus in this kind of loving embodiment of, of expression of like a hug and an embrace. John's gospel... It's very clear. It's one of the reasons why when someone comes to faith, we say, hey, read the book of John. Why not the book of Matthew? Why not the book of Mark or Luke? Or God forbid, how come not Genesis? We always say, read the book of John. Why? Why? Where did that come from? It came from this. The, The book of John emphasizes the concept of the love of the Father and the love of Jesus more than any other gospel. That's why we say, hey, read the book of John. Because the love idea is so pronounced. Come on, John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? The, he, the Son came into the world not to condemn the world, right? It's, it's that, this is the crux. If Deuteronomy 6 is the crux of Judaism, you know, uh, John 3 16 is, the, is, the, is, is the, the article and confession of faith for Christianity. It's, it's the embodiment of love. So John begins the gospel of John with this reason of the Logos, the divine reason being love, because this is what he's all about. So, look, John begins the gospel of John with this reason of love being made manifest. And so, yes, love, Jesus, has always existed. Got it. He makes that very clear. But what I need you to see here is, but the point of John is that love is the divine reason. For everything that has ever happened and ever will happen in eternity, in both heaven and on earth. That's good, Dave. That's really good. And so we see in Genesis, word produces light. Ve'ihie or, ve'ihie or. John 1 3. All things were made through him. Well, if all things were made through him, what is he? He's the divine reason. What's the divine reason? Love made manifest. All things have been made through love and for the purpose of love. And what does the love do? The love produces life. John 1.5 And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. What's the light? It's not like ray beams. The light is the expression of the divine reason. Genesis 1, he spoke and boom, light is created. John 1, the the expression of all things is the word made manifest. And what is the word? The word, the divine reason, is the expression of light that resides inside of men. But the world could not comprehend the light because they were in the darkness. And so my question is to try to start bringing this home for people to begin to understand some of the practicality and how is this relating to us is this, a question. Do you comprehend the light? That's good. That's really good. 
and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Do you comprehend the light? Of course I do. I've called upon the name of Jesus. He is my Savior. I comprehend the light. Amen, brother. But no. Do you comprehend the light in the manner in which John is writing? Remember, it's not just about Jesus being Savior. It's about his position. And the title of this message is, He's the Word, the Divine Reason. The light of comprehension is this. The light is the manifestation of the divine reason for all existence. All of life is created through love. All of life is for the manifestation of life. That's good. That's good. Do you comprehend that? I'm going to be honest. If I take a look and I use a telescope or a microscope on my life, I'd be like, you do not comprehend that, David. That everything that I do, everything that I own, every breath that I take, the very reason for me existing is for the manifestation of light, or rather, the manifestation of love. Let's take a look at your life, David, and let's see if you really comprehend that. I comprehend Jesus as Savior. Amen. I don't know if I quite comprehend yet that everything that has ever existed and every cell and every last piece of DNA strand and every last atom is all for the expression of the divine reason of love. I don't think I've comprehended it. Yes, God's love seen through Jesus is the light. But also, Jesus' love seen through you. The, the display of Christ's love to the world throughout you is the continuation of the divine reason. I want, to hear, I want you to hear this again. The display of Christ's love to the world, and to your husband, and to your wife, and to your kids, and to the stranger down the street, is the continued expression of the divine reason and the continuance of light that goes forth. Mary, can you come on down, please? <clears throat> Alright, love. Ah, love. Amor. L'amor, amore, ahava. Agape love. Eros love. Philo love. Okay, yeah, okay. Love. Let's get out of like the Greek you know, translations and oh, there's all these different words of love. It's just about love. Come on, man. Love. A lot of people think of love. They're like, oh, Valentine's Day, flowers, chocolate, hugs, kisses. Oh, agape love. God's love. I need to adore God and love in my life. And I need to adore God and love and worship and praises and singing out to Him. And all this kind of lovely stuff. Yes, that is absolutely 150% true. But what I want you to know here is that actually the New Testament explains and defines love in a actually a different way. And I would say it's, it's not different as in like good or bad. It's just Jesus takes everything to the next level. 
As Keith Green said, I don't mean to be controversial. It's just that the truth is controversial. What is the New Testament level of love? This is the love that John is trying to convey. This is the love of the Logos. This is the love of the divine reason. This is the love that is the rationale and the reason for the expression of everything that has ever existed, ever will exist. It is the purpose. It is the raison d'etre, the reason of being of everything. And John tells us, and you're not going to like it, because we do not comprehend it. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. That is the reason. That is the Logos. And from the beginning was the reason. And the reason was with God. And the reason is God. I love it. And what is the reason? I, I the Father, will lay down my life. And you are to lay down your life. I know this may sound, for those of you that have been watching on YouTube, on Facebook, that this is Dave's new kick. Or this is Alan's new kick. Lay down your life, brother. Pick up the cross. I am telling you this right now. It is not Alan's kick. And it is not David's kick. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it is. And dare I say, it's even more than that, if I dare say. It is the divine reason for all things that have ever happened and ever will happen. And the reason for the purpose of existence. To learn down the principle of love. I shall lay down my life for God and for my brother. So yes, we lay down our lives for the Father in heaven. And some of us aren't there yet, or maybe none of us are there yet. But we're working. And that's something that we may be able to stomach. And I can stomach, to be honest. But oh, John... Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for God, Jesus. Well, I'll be. There's other proof texts for that, but that's not what he's saying here. Laying it down for man. And so, lay down your life for your brother on planet Earth. Love is the divine reason, and laying down your life is a response to his love. It is a response to the divine reason and purpose of all things. And so, in your family... It's for the purpose of expression of love. In your church family, it's for the expression of God's love and the love between man and man. Mankind. In your ministry, it's supposed to all be about the expression and the embodiment of love made manifest. And dare I say this, this is probably the hardest one, in your career, all of those that are not involved in typical ministry, the job that you do, do you know that the purpose of it is for you to love? And what is love? To lay down your 
life for them. And so, look, we have a very unique and cool church, for those of you who have not come. It's a growing church, it's a family church, but we have a church of various tribes. And I don't mean tribes as in like necessarily different ethnicities, although we do have that. I mean this. And, and what's really beautiful is I believe that the Lord is knitting all of these different spiritual tribes together. For example, we have a tribe of people who are really like big on uh, God's identity. We have a tribe of people that are really big on priesthood and worship and, and building up a tabernacle of praise and worship. We, we have people that are like really big on street evangelism and healing and words of knowledge and dreams and dream interpretation. It's all good. It's all godly. It's all the gospel. I love it. We have a, a, a group of people who are all about like the Jewish roots of the faith and are kind of part of that tribe. But I'm telling you this, if any of that, your dream interpretation, your word of knowledge, your lifting up a praise unto the Lord in Philadelphia, it, it, it is not done in love. It is clanging symbols. What do I mean? Or rather, what does John mean? Guys, a newsflash. John is not just saying that love is about being nice to people. Like, duh. If you can't be nice to people, I don't know what the heck is going on. I'm going to be quite honest. If you can't be nice to people, have you met Jesus? Have you? That's, this is like, those are like elementary thoughts of the kingdom. Actually, they're so elementary that the world has corrupted them and has taken them and said, oh yeah, that's just a moral truth, is to be nice to people. What do I mean? What does John mean? To love people is not just to be nice to people. Love is a divine reason, and the divine reason is for you, newsflash, to lay down your life, which is a thousand times more intense than I'm being nice to someone. Laying down your life will have the divine reason, the love of God which was made manifest through the word of God that always was and always will be Jesus to be exalted. For the word and the logos to be revealed through you unto mankind. John knew this. That's why John is the one that is the disciple that Jesus loved. Come on, you, particularly you guys out there that look at love as like touchy-feely. Yes, that's a type of love. But love is also the love of a warrior that lays down his life in battle. And we need to grab a hold of that again in the church. Laying down your life. Oh, it's the gospel. It's the reason for all existence. John 19, this is so beautiful, and thank you, Jose, for mentioning this. It's just like, I just, what we were talking last night, you're talking about, about this theme, it was, it was just so powerful, man, I just went to the Lord with it, I was just getting, it's getting wrecked. And it was so beautiful, right, when we see counsel and wisdom from multiple people, and we don't live isolated lives, even during a quarantine. John chapter 19 
The crucifixion. This is, this is fire. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus. I want, I want, you got to get this. If you have a Bible, open it up and look at it. John 19, 25. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So tradition is four females. Jesus is on the cross, and when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the fifth person, four women, one male, are at the feet of the crucifixion watching Jesus. Yeah, there's the Roman centurions, but we're talking about five followers of him. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. John is, is being humble here. The disciple that Jesus loved. He doesn't mention his own name. He's writing about himself. I want you to get this. The only classical disciple of Jesus, the only one who is willing to see him be crucified, is John. Matthew, where are you? Mark, Luke, Thomas, Peter, where are you? John, the disciple that knows love, is sitting at the feet of the crucifix. Because the disciple that knew love is drawn to a crucifixion of the flesh. Now John, lay down your life even more. And the son of God's mother, you now please watch over her. You see, if you know love, you will be drawn to the crucifixion. If you know love, you will be drawn to the nailing down of the flesh. If you know the love of God, you will be drawn to picking up your cross. The other disciples, maybe, just maybe, as Peter is denying him, they have not yet grasped that. I don't know. But John does. So, in really closing up all this, as I said earlier, I never mean to be controversial. But the truth is controversial. I want to model something for you. And I imagine if I am in this place, or this is something that the Lord is putting on my heart, that quite possibly, after this message, maybe you too will have this time of reflection. The gospel is controversial. The reason for all existence is very bizarre. It's to lay down your life. But everyone would say that the purpose of life is to prolong life, is to keep life going. Yet the love of God is saying it's to deny your life, it's to deny your existence. And so when going over this stuff, I, I really felt an unchaining from the Lord of having been in a place of repentance. I, Pastor Dave, I, just David, being in a place of repentance, where I say, Lord, I have missed the divine reason. 
I have not loved. Yes, I've been nice to people. I have not loved like you have said to love. I have not loved as John has loved. I have not loved like a, like a John love that is drawing him to a crucifixion of the flesh. I have not loved my wife, my kids, you or my Father in heaven to the level of the comprehension of light. Because to love is to lay down my life for him. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love you guys. And I'm trying to be nice to people, but the love that is being said here is laying down the life. And that is, that's frustrating, guys, because you know what? How can I love and how can I lay down my life for those who persecute me if I can't even lay down my life for those who love me? We have a hard time laying down our, our lives for our brother in the church, for our sister in the church, for our spouse, for our kid, for our parents. It's like, how are, you, how are you supposed to live out the gospel and lay down your life to not just those that are not of your own, but those that vehemently persecute you? And we can't even lay down our lives to the people that we share a bed with. Or share a church with. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43. Jesus speaking words in red. You have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you. Love your enemies. Love laid out my life for my enemies. Yes. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Bless, pray for those who use me and use my gifts or my talents or my energies. Yes, bless them and love them and lay down your life for them. Why? That you may be sons. Woo! Why do you do this? So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? This is a frustrating thing. In the West, in the 20th century, there are people in the church who can't even get that. Sorry, 20, now we're in the 21st, yeah. There, 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 there are people who still, still can't love those that already love you. And he says, if you love the people that already love you, what reward's in that? That's like a dog. And there's people who still can't do that. What I mean by love is not being nice. It's laying down your life. Less of me, more of him. I shall serve you. I shall love you in that manner. But the call of the gospel is like, that's not even the issue. You're already doing that. But we're not even doing that, some of us. That's not the issue. The issue here is, come on, of course you do that. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The Pharisees 
The legalists already do that. They love people that love them. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And what is perfect? It's the divine reason. And what is the divine reason? Lay down your life, because that is love. And that is what God has done through Jesus. And so as Keith Green, once again, because I was just getting wrecked this week listening to Keith Green. Wrecked. He's so pure. Such a pure heart. He says, I'm not a prophet of doom. I'm a prophet of love. But love will bid a warning to the children who play on the freeway. We need to wake up. And so laying down your life is also being that prophet of love. And that prophet of love is not just being nice, not just laying down your life, but being a prophet of love and being involved in the light is to preach the divine reason. To show and tell the gospel of the Logos to man. And so, the Word of God has been made manifest. He has come in the flesh. And yes, there is an element that He is this in the flesh. Meaning, all of this points to Him. But what John is saying through the Greek, essentially, is that the divine reason... The reason for all things has come to earth through Jesus. It's there in the prologue in Genesis. It's there in the epilogue in Revelation. And it's there in the book of John. This is the divine reason. Love made manifest by God to man. And now you go out and do the same. Love your life not unto death. Pick up the cross. Crucify the flesh. Yeah, for your loved ones. But that's Christianity 101. To those who hate you and defile you and persecute you and use you. It's good, David. That's the gospel. Lord, we, we come before you and we just say, Father, let us rediscover love. Let us rediscover love, Lord. Yes, we've rediscovered salvation. I get it. But Lord, we ask right now that we could rediscover what it means to love. To love as Christ loved. To lay down our lives for you and for others. The manifestation of love is the divine reason, the purpose of being for all things that have ever existed and ever will exist was for this, the exaltation of laying down one's life for others. God coming in the flesh as Jesus laying down his life for man and now us laying down our lives for others. Let it be so in our day. Let it be so in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.
Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you on our Friday call on the book of James. And once again, talking about laying down your life. Pick up a phone. Call someone. Be blessed, guys.